you are listening to Rosie and Beyond with Omer Ultra. Yes, Omer. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for making time uh, to join the podcast today. Uh, really do appreciate it. Um, before we get into anything, how's it going? How how are you doing? Yeah, everything's going really well. Firstly, I want to say congratulations for you to uh, for starting up such a uh, a great podcast at such a young age and showing a showing a real um, understanding for what you're doing. I think it's um, I think it's really no, good. Thank you very much. Uh, it's an honour to to talk to you. Well, before we get into anything, at the time of recording, you guys are just a few games into the season, and I just wanted to ask, like, how preseason was like for you guys. Preseason was quite long. You know, it was seven weeks in at the training ground. Uh, we didn't go away anywhere. We thought it would be best to stay at the training ground and really refine what we're trying to do and work with the group um, and get a lot of work in, which we managed to do. So, yeah, it was a tough preseason, but a good yeah, preseason. Yeah, uh, that's quite interesting because it's probably different to what some some other teams do. I, I obviously want to go into uh, Watford and your team right now. But before that, I just wanted to ask if you could talk a bit about uh, your upbringing for us and football at a young age. You know, childhood for me was like any other child, you know, done lots of different sports when you had the opportunity, did karate for a, a, a long time, up to the age of 12, 13, where I, I become a black belt. Um, I, I played football at a young age from eight, nine, probably a little bit older than others, but eight, nine years old, uh, started to enjoy playing football. Uh, school, normal, you know, worked hard at school, um, yeah. good family. Um, everyone, everyone supporting me and um, trying to make me become the best version of myself. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, normal, normal, normal childhood. Yeah, okay. Um, well, it's probably your childhood wasn't quite normal after maybe nine years old, uh, where you did join Arsenal. How did that opportunity come about? Can you walk us through that? And maybe did you get scouted? Opportunities to go into other clubs. I think okay. Leighton Orient was one, and they. You know, I played and trained there and they said, uh, you know, it was good as what we got, but you're not better. And that was disappointing. And then I went to come to Watford, funny enough, where I was here for a, a brief period and I wasn't strong enough or physical enough at a younger age. That was disappointing. And then I went back into my grassroots team. Um, I was at Edmonton Rangers, Edmonton Rovers. Then I went to Chaseside Youth. Um, and I got scouted at Chaseside Youth to go into Arsenal at the age of nine and, yeah, had to work really hard to stay there and yeah. stayed there for, you know, 10 years. Oh, OK. Uh, so you were at Arsenal for, for a very long time uh, until you made your debut. Um, could you maybe walk us through cause, uh, what Arsenal Academy was like and tell us a bit more about the academy? Yeah, yeah um, Arsenal has always been a club that wants to achieve the best. You know, they want to win. It was uh, Winning was was very important producing players that were able to do what was asked and play the Arsenal way, but to also have a character, uh, a disciplined character and a, a good attitude uh, and, and, and humbleness. Yeah. A lot of players at the club at that time, you had to have those qualities. Yeah. Um, and I hope still now the club still looks for those qualities. Um, but yeah, every year was, you know, it was challenging. You know, you had a lot of players wanting to come to Arsenal. So, 
um, you had to work hard and you had to be the best. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. So yeah. it was it was it was tough, but at the same time, um, it made me who I became. Yeah, you mentioned the competition, and uh, I watched the um, Crystal Palace Channel Four documentary, and it really emphasizes uh, how kids are fighting for new contracts. Could you maybe uh, talk a bit about that and tell us uh, if you experienced that pressure or your teammates at the time at the academy for contracts? Yeah, I think it's like everything, you know, even with exams, you know, young kids when they're going in for their exams and they're, you know, they don't want to fail. You know, yeah. it's all about what you can achieve. And although there is different types of failing, you know, in football, obviously every year, you want to be re-signed and every year you want a new contract. And so, yeah, there was, a, there was those moments for myself and for my, for my teammates who it was hard and, you know, you was nervous mm. and you, you, you wanted to work hard to make sure that you, you got the, the opportunity. Um, and, you know, same with the, the, the Crystal Palace program, like you said, it was, I think those pressures will always be there for, yeah. for, for players, senior players, young players, because someone always wants to take your place. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's always going to be difficult. What's important is how we how we manage those players and how we manage how they feel and how we manage um, where they go next. And you know, um, I think I think that's yeah. important. Hundred percent. Um, lots of kids at a young age uh, obviously have role models and people who they look up to and want to be. Did Did you have someone uh, when you were at the academy that you looked up to? You know, I think. With mentors and things like that, it's quite a new thing. You know, mm. over the last 10 years, mentors, making sure you've got a mentor, making sure you've got someone you can look up to, making sure, you know, you've got someone you can lean on and, and, and learn from, which is great. Yeah. I think it's a great thing. I think when we were younger, I think it was natural just to, you know, I was a striker. So I used to look at Ian Wright. I used to look up to Ian Wright a lot. You know, yeah. he was in the first team at the time. I, I was quite similar in respect of the way I played. Mm-hmm. Um so I always looked up to Ian Wright. I used to clean his boots. So, you know, I had to clean his boots. So I always had that little bit of extra, you know, um, affinity to him. Uh, I wanted to learn everything that he did. Um, and then as I got older, obviously, there's coaches that, that you work with along the way and players that you, yeah. you've worked with that you can, you feel you have a certain trust and certain relationship and you maybe ask them for advice and um you know, uh, at the time when I was coming for it, I, I played with great coaches, you know, Jordy Armstrong, Don Howe, um, Don Givens at the time, yeah. Tom Wally. Um, these 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 coaches for me coming through as, at a young age really helped me. All very different. Okay. And they all helped me become who I who I. Yeah, become. that's quite interesting because I haven't really heard, heard that before. Um, so you played with massive names, Vieira, Burkamp, just just to name a few. Is there a fond memory you have that you could maybe share with us that you shared with them? Um, you know, I think every moment with them was was uh, was good uh, for me in respect of my development and my learning. Yeah. You know, I remember. I, I remember. If you want me to remember something clear, I think it was probably, you know, being training and, and training with. Um, training with the, with the players you mentioned. And I think Dennis Burkamp, you know, he was a great player, but he also had a, a, an aggression to him. I remember him trod on me in training. He weren't mm-hmm. happy with the tackle I made on him and he trod on me to make sure that, you know, to let me know that, yeah, you're up, you're training, but, you know, 
manage yourself, manage your environment environment properly. You know, it was a message to me to say, yeah, you you're a young pup coming through, but get yeah. the mark. I'll, I'll do something that's um, that's going to shock you, and and that shocked me. But at the same time, it made me realise that you know um, you've got to grow up and you've got to be yeah. ready. Um, you know, another moment, you know, when John Hartson was at the club as well, and he said to me, "Oh, never let anyone push you around." You know, um, and there's another thing, you know, as a, as a, a young striker, um, that those messages are clear. You know, yeah. be strong, be disciplined. Yeah. Um and try not to let anyone take anything away mm-hmm. from you. Yeah, yeah. Um when I was doing my my research on you, I came across an article um that you and you you're quoted saying that you maybe felt like you deserved more minutes than you got. I know you made your de- debut and have played a few games, but you, you felt like you deserved more minutes. Why do you think you didn't get those minutes and uh, yeah, what were the reasons you think for that? Um I think there's a, a whole a whole whole range of things, you know, that sometimes when you're young you don't understand. Um but as mm-hmm. you get older you realise there's things that are in your hands and things that are out of your hands. And I think at the time maybe I was a little bit um I wasn't patient enough, one. You have to be patient, especially players now, you know, they they don't get their debuts till they're some of them twenty one, twenty two years old. Yeah. So you've got to be patient. And I was only still 18, 19 at the time. So you've got to be patient, um, more patient. And then there was, you know, if if somebody wants to push somebody, if somebody wants to push a player to achieve, yeah. um, and that player's not you, then there's nothing you can do about it other okay. than keep trying to work hard. Um, and if a player is going to get pushed because uh, someone wants to push them, then it doesn't matter what you do, no matter how many goals you score, no matter how well you play, you will always potentially find yourself not in the position you feel you should be in. And that's the best way that I can really sort of explain it to you without yeah. without um, sounding yeah. bitter. Yeah, definitely. Um Looking back now, uh, I don't want to really assume, but it seemed like you wanted urgent game time. Um, and uh, looking at it retrospectively, do you feel maybe you, you should have stayed a few more years and uh, pushed pushed for that uh, first team spot? Yeah, I mean, let's not forget that at Arsenal we had some great, great players. You mentioned yeah. them, you know, at the time Ian Wright, we had Dennis Bergkamp, we had Nicola Anelka who was coming through, we had Freddie Jungberg who was playing. We had uh, we had we had we had a lot of players, good players yeah. as well that were at the best, like some of the world's best players. Um, so that was always going to be a challenge. It was always going to be tough. But yes, you know, I got offered a new contract. Should I have stayed? Potentially, I should have carried on and stayed and just kept working. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know, I decided the opportunity come up to move to West Ham um, for a three year deal, and and it was it was something I thought, you know what, I'm going to go. I didn't feel I was being treated well enough. Uh, and, and I left, you know, and I made the decision and I stand by that decision. But in hindsight, you know, sliding doors, you can say, um, yeah, maybe maybe more patient or maybe yeah. or maybe try and do what the club asked, you know, go to a club that the, the club wanted to sell me to and, you know, stuff like that. There's loads of little things really that that, yeah. that, that could have happened. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I also wanted to get your 
your thoughts on Arsene Wenger? Because I spoke to Kieran Gibbs, who also, who also played under him, and what you thought thought of him and what you think of him now, and yeah, your your opinions on him as a coach and maybe as a person too. You know, Arsene Wenger speaks for itself, doesn't it? You know, what he's achieved, yeah. who he is as a coach, who he is as a man in respect of what his beliefs are, how he believes he can bring youngsters through. And, and he's done that on so many occasions with young with young players. You know, Ashley Cole was in my was in my youth team, managed to nurture mm-hmm. him into a position where he went on to have a great career. Nicola and Elke he bought in from Paris Saint-Germain for next to nothing and sold him for £22 million. Fabregas he got from... The list goes on. You can keep you knowing what, what he sees and how he develops and, and his mindset when it comes to football is, is on another level. Um, and he was good, you know. He gave you time. He, 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 he coached in a different way. Sometimes he wouldn't be so on, you know, hands-on with things. He would be more watching and, and, and talking to you about little things rather than, rather than the big things all the time. You mentioned that um, I came across um, a few a few videos where uh, ex players spoke about the different types of managers. Some being uh, on the grass as a coach, and someone who's managing maybe um, off more off the pitch. But is there a type of manager you preferred? Um, yeah, you know I think every coach is different. You know every coach I've worked on is different. Some coaches I work with Brazilian coaches who are quite free and relaxed and want you to enjoy the ball when you've got some coaches who are very uh, very disciplined in, in their structure and how they want you to play and then there's some coaches who um, who get more on a level with you in in respect of you know forget football what we like as people uh, I worked with a Turkish coach called Giray Bulak um, and he, he was very true to his word if he said something yeah. it happened and I think I think that's very important that players know and understand where they are. If they're not going to play, tell them. Tell them why they're not going to play. Tell them what they need to work on and tell them who's better. You know, sometimes they might not like it, but I think the truth helps them to find the right path. Yeah, definitely, because um, that's, 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 that's quite interesting to hear because obviously in the short term, um, some players might feel frustrated or betrayed, but obviously in the long term, that will help them. Um, I know you went to West Ham, but I want to jump to your move to Turkey because that was quite interesting because there was a change in league. Do you think you can walk us through the differences in the league and uh, what the Turkish league was like for you? Yeah, you know, t- Turkey at the time, obviously, it's, it's a very good league now. And at the time, it was um, it was a very good league. You know, very good players. Roberto Carlos was over there at the time. And Rigobert Song, who I played with here, uh, was over there and... Uh, other English players that was over there at the time. Um, I can't remember all, but there was, you know, Pierre Van Hooydonk at, at Fenerbahce, and there was there was um, there was loads of foreign players that were sort of raising the 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 status of the league and the Turkish players that were there at the time. Very good quality. Um, mm-hmm. I think the football was very good. Uh, very technical league. Some very technical players. Um, maybe not as aggressive as the as, as the English league. Um, but definitely very technical. Um, for me, it was a good thing. I was very, I was always a very quick, aggressive player. So you know, a little bit different to the style of players they had um, over there at the time. And um, didn't take me too long to find my feet. You know, um, started playing at Denizlispor, moved to Trabzon, and 
um, I had a good I had a good career, you know. I also came across um, on on some articles multiple times about your your ban in uh, in Turkey. I didn't quite uh, understand what it was because so could you maybe walk us through that and explain to us uh, what what really happened there? Yeah, you know the the ban come about from uh, Trabzon Sport not doing the right thing with the contracts um, and the TFF um, supporting the club in their wrongdoings and and I hence I got banned for it and um, mm-hmm. you know there's been a long case that's ongoing um, that's been going a long time with the European Court of Human Rights and CAS and FIFA and um, a lot of money spent and um, you know I've won those I've won those cases and now it's just about now trying to find find the right um, the right pathway to make sure that the TFF you know learn from their mistakes yeah um I'm not quite familiar with the exact numbers, but you were out for quite a while, I believe. Um, could you maybe tell us how that impacted you from a mental side or in the footballing side? Because no one wants to be out for that long. Yeah, it was very difficult, you know, because I missed probably a year and a half of football, and that's a lot of that's a lot of time. Career. Um, it was difficult. I, I had to run. I was doing a lot of running on my own. I was playing in non-league teams at training just to keep myself fit. Um, I couldn't play because I had a ban all over the world, not just in Turkey. And it it was tough. I lost a lot of money. Uh, I lost, I lost, uh, you know, fitness levels. I lost um, everything. You know, psychologically, it was it mm-hmm. was damning. It was it was difficult. Um, I, lucky I had a good family network around me to support me. Um, yeah. And it was it was really tough. And one of one of those things that's made me a lot stronger. Now yeah. you know dealing with adversity and being able to to help others because of the things I went through, um, it's easier for me to be able to talk to people who are going through these these times. You know? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Like that's obviously like a very difficult situation for a player to be in. What what motivated you to 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 not give up th- throughout those moments? Well, you know, I was only, I was still only 30 at the time, 29, 30, when I managed to get the band lifted and start playing again. Obviously, yeah. I'd lost a bit of form and I was trying to find my form. Um, I needed more time to find the form I was looking for. I went to Shrewsbury Town in League Two and um, yeah. it was hard going down to League Two after playing, you know, in, in European football and playing at Trabzon against like big clubs and, you know, yeah. playing with European teams and having a very good contract to being at a club that, you know they were great with me to be fair, but it just got to the point where they didn't give me enough time to to get back to where I needed to get to, and um, it was it was difficult. So I wasn't too old, but at the same time, yeah, I lost I'd lost a little bit of you know that edge that I needed to to really kick on, and then I started to get into the coaching, and then found yeah. my way sort of slowly slowly coming to retirement at about thirty three thirty four I think. I was. was coaching something you always like had the back of your mind and. A career you are planning to pursue um, after after playing football um, as a player. I think when you're young, you always do your coaching badges anyway. If you're in a club, so you do your um, level level one, level two, and then if you want to do your level three, I started doing my level three at Shrewsbury. So I was twenty at twenty nine, thirty years old, started doing my UA for B. Um, okay. course there, and I didn't really have any thoughts of doing doing uh, mm-hmm. coaching like the way that it's escalated to now um, yeah. 
if it wasn't for my friend David Livermore, who was at Millwall at the time, who's now assistant manager at Dillingham, saying, "Oh, come and do your, come and finish your A license with me at Millwall. We'll go. We'll work against each other to get it done." And I went and done that, got my A license, and then it just continued from there really. And we worked together. Yeah. Um, we worked together at, at Histon in the conference, um, yeah. and then I went on to to coach all the clubs I've coached at and to be to be where I am now. So really thankful to him for you know giving me that opportunity and pushing me to carry on i also read up uh at um chestnut uh football club where you were player manager could you tell us a bit more about uh, what, what really happened there chestnut <laughs> Chesham. oh no yeah that's all right that's all right <laughs> don't worry um that's a good that's what they really should be called we should call them chestnut instead because that's uh that's the that's where they're at but anyway um yeah, you know, like like I said, Peasant um, was where I started to come to an end. It was just about, I knew I could play in those leagues, no problem. It was very easy for me. And I would get into the coaching so I could coach without any pressure um, mm-hmm. and play a little bit and then start to work on my coaching. So that's where that, that came about. And I thought it was really good. It was really good for me to you know, get in the environment to understand non-league players as well, what sort of levels they're at and uh, what their mentalities are. They're not all the same. Some are different. Some have got different goals. Um, and yes, yeah, you know, if anyone asks me what I've done, I, you know, I've worked every level as a coach. I've worked a lot of levels as a player. Um, and I've had loads of experiences that not many can not can match. No, yeah, definitely. Um so I want to fast forward to Watford right now. You guys are three games in, I believe. One win, one draw and a loss. <clears throat> How do you assess maybe your team's progress so far? Um, and yeah, basically um, your conclusion and your thoughts of of your of the start of your season. Everyone's working really hard. All the coaches, all the staff, all the players. Um, we want to have a good season, you know. We want to do the best we can do. Uh, everyone's working in a real positive manner and um, we'll all do the best we can do. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I watched back the game with QPR and you guys won 4-0 and I, looking back at it, like you guys were really dominant and played really well. What were some tactical advice given before the game that you could share with us? Because it, it was an amazing one, looking back. Yeah, you know, we, we've done it, like I said, we had a really good pre-season. We played a lot of good teams. We know we played Crystal Palace, we played Arsenal, we played Fulham, uh, we played Borenwood, we played uh, we played our own 21s team as well to, mm-hmm. you know, get some minutes and we was ready. And, you know, everything we, we worked on, both in and out of possession, we applied. And when you do that and you manage to apply it correctly and the opposition can't manage it, you end up end end up with a result that we ended up with, which was a great four nil four nil result. So, uh, you know, it was the first game of the season, and we knew there's lots of work to do. As you just mentioned, there that was the first game of the season, and with your with your new coach, uh, head coach coming in, how much of uh, Watford's philosophy did we see in that game, or is there is there more to come? You know, if, if I'm being honest, that game was if you asked if you could see that game and try and get all the things that we looked at before out, I think it was it was spot on, you know, in possession, mm-hmm. out of possession. Our out of possession stuff was a little bit different tactically because we, we do press a different way. Um, but because they play quite direct, it changed our pressing strategies. 
um, and dealing with different certain balls and but in possession nearly everything we we'd worked on before had come off and it was when you're a coach and you see that happen it's a great feeling you know yeah as as I said before like you guys also have um a new head coach Valer and Ismail um how's it been working working with them so far and yeah some things you could uh, tell us a bit about work, working with them together as part of the coaching team yeah they've been um the new coaches that have come in, the gaffer and the coaches that he's brought in, the analyst that he's brought in, Jack Dean, the gaffer, um, they've come into the environment. They've embraced everybody that's at the club. They've embraced me and um, we're all working very well together. We're all striving for that same thing, which is which is um, to, to have a process. And the process is to be disciplined, to be committed, um, to have respect and to work hard uh, and to try and win games. And, and that's what we're going to do. Yeah, um... I also came across a video of Valerinus Mal uh, speaking speaking in uh, a team talk, and he was really emphasizing the point of intensity. And I wanted to get your thoughts and you elaborating um, on what you guys are trying to do with the intensity as you guys play on and off the ball. Yeah, they're real key factors. You know, um, try to make the opposition uncomfortable. You know, try not to give them too much time because Time can hurt. If you give people too much time, they can hurt you. Um, be aggressive out of possession to win the ball back. When we lose the ball, when we've got the ball, when we lose it, to win it back and counter-press quickly. Uh, win the ball up high up the pitch so we can we can try to cause the opposition a problem. And, you know, as long as we do that and we stay committed to that, we'll be more successful than we will um, not. I know when people inside the club are asked this question, they always say, let's take a... Let's, we take... Um game by game but what are the internal targets for Watford the season where you guys are striving to get to the internal target is what I just said is you know to be committed to be respectful and to work with the process and to be yeah. the best versions of ourselves that's staff that's players that's everyone at the club and as long as we do that you know no one can say um, that they haven't given um, everything I know you've uh been um been a first team coach before at Leighton Orient but you moved up from um the youth levels what's that transition been like for you uh, and stuff you can tell us about that um I've been at the club now for I think this is my seventh it's my, my seventh year um yeah. so I know the environment I know the people um I know the players um and and, and I've been comfortable you know I, I'm confident with my knowledge uh, I'm confident with my ability to take on information and learn and develop I'm comfortable with the knowledge that I have that I can give to to support and to enhance um, the, the club and the team and, and that's what I'll continue to do but yeah it's been great I've really enjoyed it I still go over with and check on the young young lads all the time and the staff I get on well with everyone there um, yeah. and um you know, I'm getting on really well with everyone and get over the first team and hopefully we we continue and we keep working hard and like we say, we keep progressing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, I know you're coaching football um, with both teams, but what are like the main differences with coaching between youth and first team level? Um, I think probably you're just refining more with the first team. The players understand things a bit quicker. They've okay. seen the pictures a lot more. Um, you know, they've come against uh, different oppositions, so they've become more experienced at dealing with things. 
Um, yeah. The technical ability under pressure is better. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then, but that's why the players are young. That's why they're twenty ones. That's why they're eighteen because they're still learning and developing. And yeah. um, we can't expect them to be doing things at the same rate as the first team players. Otherwise, they'd be in the first team and they'd be first team players. So yeah. everyone's got their level. Everyone's got their time. Everyone's got, you know, their age. And if they if they're able to deal with it, then they'll get the opportunity. And and that's what we look to. We look to try to create the same sort of environment for the younger players um, to the best of our ability. As, as, so you also played at uh, our academy many years ago. Do you think the setups become more brutal with uh, the coaching style or vice versa? Was it was it more direct and more brutal back then, uh, do you think? I think it's a bit of both. I think um, players are given more time now because there's more age groups. Um and I think back when we when I was playing, it was more brutal because at 18, if you wasn't ready to break into your first team, you'd get the opportunity maybe to play reserves and then you would be have to go and look for another club, um, whether that be on loan, whether that be um, leaving the club and, and starting again or whatever it was. Um, so I think it's a good thing now that players have got more time, but then sometimes you have players in the system that may not be at the level now. There's a lot of players in the system and I think the levels potentially, technically players have got a lot better, but then game understanding and match experiences um, are limited. And I think that's something that that we need to try to be better at. Well, I also was interested to get your take on creating versus buying talent. Um, as As you worked in the academy setup yourself, how important do you think it is to... The invest to create talent rather than buy it in your opinion as players are going for a ridiculous amount of money uh, right now um, well you know obviously I've had I've been fortunate enough to produce a lot of players um, over my time you know Stephen Ozzetti who's playing at Brighton uh, Josh Caroma who's at Huddersfield you've got Michael Obifemi who's playing at um, at Burnley now and uh, Sam Dolby is at rec- I can go over a whole list of players that have come through mm-hmm. that you know that I know that if, if if you you know you if you give them the right platform you know they'll have good careers and I think um, I think it's important that we 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 keep doing that. Um, of course, homegrown players now is vital. You know you have to have homegrown players in in the squad. So I think us. Clubs making sure they keep investing in the youth, I think, is really important. And I think we're seeing yeah. we're seeing the fruition of it now. You know, um, England England twenties are doing really well. Twenty ones doing excellent. Um, youngsters who are now are now um, you know playing in the Premier League on a regular basis. That are world class players. You know, uh, if you say Foden or you say you know um, all the players that have come through um, in England now, it's it's, it's you know, Rathford, they've all come through the systems. It's great to see. Adding on to that, with youth development, well, like, every player that's professional is good at football. Um, but what I think differentiates them is probably their mentality. Is that something you can install from players, uh, install into their minds or train them for that? Or is that something they're born with? Um, it's a real good question. I think... I think um, some of it is come from within. 
you know it's about dealing with adversity and whether you lose confidence or whether you gain confidence or whether you can sustain confidence levels whether you can whether you can sustain um levels of of um top quality uh, yeah. ability um but i think that um yeah, I think I think I think players now they have to have a mentality about them to be yeah. able to um to be able to become. But it can also be built, you know, and if if, if coaches are fair and if coaches recognise when players aren't doing well or when they are doing well, when they feel they they need to be spoken to a certain way, I think that can help with that as well. So they both work hand in hand. There has to be a there has to be like um an internal an internal want, an internal hunger. Um, and a mentality that drives um, but it can also be you know you can also ingrain it as well with coaching you you hear ex ex players speak about how coaching's maybe changed and back in the day coaches were a lot more brutal and harsher uh, with coaching is there is there a specific way you intend to coach your players um, now that the game's maybe evolved uh, in, in the coaching side of things as well no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, there's been times when I've been brutal, when I've had to be, you know, passive aggressive, if you like to call it, and let people know the truth. Yeah. Um, but I predominantly like to be able to build relationships with my players. I always say to anyone I talk to that most of the players that I've worked with, I like to think will call me up and ask me for advice, and um, if they need anything, they can always call me. I've always got the same number, and I do. I talk yeah. to I talk to players all the time, and I, and I like that because it shows that. I've built a relationship with them, not on the field, but off the field as well. So I like I, that's the way I like to manage manage that. But there are times when, if you people think people are overstepping the mark and players are overstepping the mark, then they will inevitably get a side of you that maybe they don't like to see. But sometimes they end up. I think they respect that as long as you don't do it all the time. And it because when you do it all the time, it just goes in one ear and out the other. I also wanted to ask you um, a bit about how academies maybe help balance school life and um and academy football uh in their busy schedule and how players are maybe getting support for, from their coaches and so on because as you can see from the outside and as i mentioned with the documentary um it's quite evident that a lot of people uh kids are, are very busy with school and football and struggle balancing them I think uh, education is key. I think no one should throw away their education for football. Uh, I think everyone should have a good education. In fact, I think, listen, football is it is brutal and sometimes people only think about what a player's ability, ability is and whether he can play. And sometimes that can hinder a player because of forgetting about the education and schooling, like you say. But now there's a lot of education in place with scholarships in, in football clubs. So, I think we're on the right track with, with that. Um, but no, definitely I would advise any any young players that school is most important um, because if you don't have school, you don't have an education, you can't, there's nothing like you say to fall back on one. And it ain't just about falling back on. It's about being an intelligent, articulate person. You know, there's yeah. a lot of intelligent players now in football. You have to be intelligent to play the game. Okay, it's a different intelligence, but it's still intelligent. With your time... Um... 
uh, well, coaching at an academy. Is there a specific or uh, multiple things that you see uh, that hinder uh, young players' development that you've seen often uh, and can reveal to us? Yeah, attitude, character, work ethic, um, and lack of ability. You know, there's three or four things in football that is, for me, is pivotal. You know, if you lack character and you lack ambition and you lack commitment, uh, you have got no chance of making it as a football player. You know, and if you're a top player and you're not humble, um, you end up being disliked. And, you know, I don't think anyone likes to be disliked. Be humble, be hardworking, have a good work ethic, be respectful, be committed. And you've always, even if you're not the top, top player, you'll always have half a chance to to have a good career. I've seen many players who have been brilliant and not make it because they don't have those qualities. And I've seen many players that have those qualities and not been brilliant technically Mm -hmm. um, or tactically, but they had good careers, you know. Yeah. um, I just want to move on to our quick fire questions. Um, my f- my first one being, what what do you like or enjoy the most about your new role at Watford as as a assistant as assistant coach? Um, I think working with working with elite players, uh, working yeah. towards working towards um, winning every week, and that competitive edge. I I loved that. I loved it as a player, and I love it as as a coach. Yeah, uh, and on the flip side, what is something that you uh, don't enjoy uh, about your current role? Um, I think at this level, obviously, the pressures of making sure we are prepped, we are ready, and we are competitive, I think, is key. You know, making sure everything's ready. We work so hard as a staff to make sure the players are ready when they go out match day. And I think the pressures of that is 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 good. If you were able to create uh, the perfect player to coach, uh, what skill sets uh, and what type of player would they be, whether it's with their skill set or characteristics? Um, again, work ethic, um, humble, um, quick, clever, aggressive, yeah. and creative. Nice. Yeah. Um. What do you enjoy to do outside of football? Maybe take your mind off football and relax. Um. In your in your spare time. I like to spend time with my kids when I get the chance. Um. Lucky enough for me, my boy is in the academy, so I get to see him train every now yeah. and then. My two girls are, you know, at, at school and at university, and um, I get time to spend with them. Maybe go for a coffee with my oldest daughter. With my youngest daughter, I get to play play with her when we get the opportunity spend time with the family you know and the wife um, and um, playing golf sometimes not great oh, at yeah. golf but like going at times um, and just just generally yeah just just chilling what's your favorite m- moment in football um, from a fan's perspective as a football fan Ooh, favorite moment I think England always doing well um yeah doing well in, in the competitions um, uh, my favourite moment as a fan wow I think Arsenal um, 
you know, progressing and doing well. I've always supported Arsenal. I've played there all my life. So I always support them. Uh, but my favourite one, one moment. Yeah, because um, when I think it, uh, when I when I when I think about it, it's it's probably the recent uh, Qatar World Cup um, for me uh, personally. Um, I don't really have any real mm-hmm. favourite moments in, in football um, oh, yeah. as a fan. If I'm being really honest. Yeah. Um. What about um? What would you? What would one thing be that you'd uh, tell you your young uh, your younger version of yourself? I think um, try to be confident enough to speak when spoken to about something. If you feel it, you have a point to make. Okay. Uh, sometimes that's difficult at a younger age. Sometimes people say things and you're not articulate enough to be able to talk or to answer. Um, so I would think, yeah, speak your mind in a respectful way um, and, and say what you need to say. All right, yeah, um, that's all That's all I've got for you uh, today. Uh, thank you very much for joining. Um, genuinely, like, a lot of things that you said uh, and your insights uh, were definitely interesting. I feel like I've learned a lot. So I really do appreciate you coming on making time and I, and I hope you enjoyed it. I think you've been excellent at presenting your show. I think uh, you showed a great um, knowledge base, making sure you find out about me and things that I've written and things I've spoke about. I think that's really important. Um, yeah. For such a young guy, I think you're doing a great job and uh, I wish you all the best and I hope you keep progressing and enjoying what you're doing. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and share with other football lovers. Until next time. Wow. <laughs>